Tonight we're going to be looking from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 through 18. We're going to be talking about the subject of how are we to react in a culture that sees us as enemies. And uh, I think there's some great insight here in 1 Peter 3, 9 through 18. So I'm going to ask uh, when you find that if you will stand in God's honor. As I read aloud from the scriptures. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil. And his lips from a deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what's right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we come to you confessing as always we need you. I just ask Holy Spirit that you would continue to work in this service. Father, I ask um, for your anointing. Without you, we can't do anything that lasts, that matters forever. But with you, God, there's power and strength. For your word says it's not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So we seek your spirit, God. Speak to our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I've been concerned, I don't know for how long, with the way people treat one another. And what breaks my heart is in the body of Christ. Guys, I... I I glance through Facebook, but I really don't write anything much on Facebook. And I see people, I don't really, it doesn't really matter what our political persuasion is. And and I don't want to get into the thing of labels. I remember Stephen Olford said, you know, the thing with labels is, if you go off, if you go up, they blow off. And if you go down, they burn off. But they're going to come off. And, you know, we have the, liberals and the fundamentalists and we have the conservatives and we have the progressives or moderates or but it doesn't give people a right to be mean and it doesn't give us a right to attack and i got to thinking about this and god led me to first peter chapter three before i get there though i want to say this there's an example of not how to act i believe and it's found in luke chapter nine Matter of fact, Luke chapter 9 has one of my favorite verses in it. Uh, Luke 9, 
51. I love this verse. It says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And it's just a sidebar, okay? No, no, no extra. I mean, this is extra or whatever. I've always loved this verse because here's Jesus. He's facing the cross in the future. And yet it says he set resolutely. His gaze, his heart, his passion, everything was headed toward Jerusalem and the cross. I just love that. That God's love is that resolute, that focused, tunnel vision, man. And uh, But anyway, I'll go on because it's what follows that. That's really my focus here. Um, verse 52. He sent messengers on ahead who went into Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. They were Samaritans. They didn't won't have anything to do with those in Jerusalem. So there was this political battle going on and 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 a religious battle going on. Uh, I don't want to even get into the specifics of why, but but there was just a battle going on. They were they didn't want to listen to Jesus. So there was this discontentment, and I want you to see this is a strategy. I say, please do not use. I'm going to call it the sons of Zebedee strategy. I don't think it's a good look for us as followers of Jesus. Here's the Zebedee strategy as we go on here. When the disciples, James and John, sons of Zebedee, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Now, maybe I haven't seen any call fire down from heaven and destroy them on Facebook. But I'll tell you this, it wasn't nice what I saw. I love this. Look what how Jesus responded. Jesus turned and rebuked them. <laughs> they went to another village. I can just Jesus, see Jesus saying, Hey guys, calm down. We don't have time for this. There's a mission. Alright, with that said, let's move over to 1 Peter. Because I want to look at this, the scripture in 1 Peter, really, for the text of this message. This is what not to do, the sons of Zebedee strategy, okay? As we come over to verse 9, I want to look at some specific truths, several of these, as we just kind of march down through the passage. First Peter, starting at verse 9, look to bless. Look what he says, um... He says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. When people react in a mean way, the natural thing is to be mean back. You know, you bit two cats in a corner, they scratch each other to death, don't they? But God says that's not to be the way you act. And here's the thing that this is God's stuff. When they curse you, you are to bless them. That's not the natural tendency. 
That's something that God does within us. He says to look to bless. Uh, It's far too easy to polarize, to strategize, to trivialize, and to demonize people. Uh, That's the natural way that we work. But our objective, guys, and always remember this, our objective is not to win an argument. It's to win people. Our objective is not to be right. Our objective is to show people how to get right. (laughs) That's the objective. Too often people get caught up in winning an argument. And I'm going to show you what's right. No, I want to show you Jesus. That's what uh, is ultimate. Um, So the question is, does our witness give others the opportunity to meet Jesus? You know, I, I can just see Jesus with the sons of Zebedee, and, you know, they just give their strategy. You want us to call down fire from heaven, Lord? And Jesus rebukes them. And, and I think what he's saying is, guys, I want our behavior to always open up an encounter with me. So the way we act and what we speak, it should always lead to a place where people want to meet Jesus. Because that's the ultimate goal. It's not to win an argument. It's to win the people. And not to me, but to him who gives life, who is Jesus Christ. And we do that as we go down through here through what we say. Verse 10 of the scripture here. He, he talks about that he must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. That word deceitful speech speaks of being double-tongued. It's the idea, on the one hand, you say something that's it's nice about somebody, but you say it in such a way that you're kind of given the insinuation or the idea that maybe that person's not really so nice. So you're not really calling them evil, but you're kind of twisting it a little bit where maybe they'll just get the idea that there's something wrong that they're doing. Uh, in other words, it's taking a grain of truth and making a bowl of mush We're not to do that with our words. Our words need to build up, not tear up. Our words need to raise up, not destroy. I think of James chapter 3. What a chapter. And just a couple of verses in it. He starts out, he says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. In other words, understand what we say does matter. And then he goes on verse 2. He says, uh, guys, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. He says, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. And then he uses a third example. He says, or what about a forest that's set on fire by a small spark? And in verse 6, he says, The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole soul and sets the course of his life on fire. And then he says, verse 7, All animals, all reptiles, birds, creatures of the sea have been tamed by men and are being tamed by men. But no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. And then he comes down to verse 10 and he says, Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. He says, With the tongue we praise men and with it we curse men who've been made in God's likeness. 
shouldn't be. We don't praise God for that. We don't come here and sing to God and worship Him and then turn around and cut our brother and sister down, slice them down on Facebook. That's not the way to react. That's not the way to use our words. How do my words portray Jesus? Do they make others want to meet Him? Or does it give others an excuse? Oh, there, Jesus, anything like His people. What we do. Look at verse 11. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. We're not to return evil for evil. Jesus turned it all upside down. I think of Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. He says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. We're to imitate Him. We're dearly loved children. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, the stuff we do, it should look like Jesus. The stuff we should do should be able to point to Him. And when we do that, not only does it impact people, it's a way of worshiping God. It's a sacrifice that's pleasing to Him. It's a fragrant offering before Him when we submit ourselves to Him. And there's a benefit. Look in the Scripture here. There's a benefit that comes forth from that. What a blessing. He says, verse 12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. What a thought. That when I seek God and walk with Him, His eyes are there on me, watching. And His ears are attentive to my prayers. Wow, what a great benefit of when my lips and my life matches up. God says, my favor's there. My eyes are upon you and my ears are listening. As you pray that you can trust me that I'm there. One commentator, Barnes, writes, The language here is that which describes continual guardianship and care. In other words, God's always watching over us. It makes me think of uh, 1 Peter 5, 7 in the Living Bible. Remember the Living Bible was kind of a loose, well, it's a paraphrase, not really a translation. But I used to love that. I'd memorized it in that um, paraphrase. 1 Peter 5, 7, I think King James, it says, uh, Cast all your cares on him, for he careth for you. Something like that. But in, in the Living Bible, it said, Let him have all your worries and cares, for he is always thinking about you. And watching everything that concerns you. That's, that's part of that relationship with God. Of walking with Him. Now verse 14. There's a question that brought to my mind here in this verse. At verse 14 he says. If you should suffer for what's right you're blessed. So. Are you attacking somebody? And the question is. Um, why are you on the attack? Is it because you've been mistreated and you're defensive and you're mad? Or is it because you're afraid? He says here in this verse, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. And to be quite honest with you, as the culture seems to unravel more and more, it's going to be tougher to have convictions. It's going to be tougher at times to go against the grain. And we may end up the IRS may target us 
at some point. Um, or it may come to some point where we may end up being the threat of jail uh, because certain beliefs we have may consider hate crimes to somebody else or to some other group. And so there are reasons to be afraid out there. You look out there and you say, man, you know, that kind of scares me. But then we need to come back and we need to remember who we really need to fear. And this is what bothers me. And I, don't, I see so few things. I keep, I've said this about five times in the last two days. I just don't see anything sacred anymore. And my heart breaks because I don't see many that appear to fear God. Listen to this. This is from Matthew 10, starting at verse 27. Our Lord says, What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What's whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. In other words, he's saying, let me give you courage when you look to me because I'm the one that matters. I'm the one that you should really seek to please above everybody else. So that's the goal. Next verse, verse 15, next piece of advice that I think is important in dealing with a world that sees us as an enemy often. Our primary message, I've already kind of said this, is not to win an argument, it's to win people. But how do you win people? The primary message needs to be the gospel. You know, I've said so many times, and I believe it, may we never be a church known for who we're against or what we're against, but may we be a church who is known for Jesus. I want them to know who we're for. I want them to know that in reality we're for you because that's why Jesus died. He died for all of us. And and we're not we're to win the people. And how do we win the people? Through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 15. He says, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer for everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Is Jesus the boss of your life? Uh, seeing I've talked many times, I have a niece we've been praying for forever. I mean, well, I say that years and years and years. And when she was a teenager, a young teenager, um, had a chance to share the gospel with her. And uh, she listened. And then here was her response. I don't want anybody to be the boss of my life. Is Jesus boss? You know the funny thing about it, though? It's not funny. It's funny. It's ironic. If you study uh, Romans chapter 6, it says that no matter what you think, you are a slave. (laughs) You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. And there's only one way to really be free. It's Jesus. It's being submitted to Him, and He's the one that brings that freedom. It's that Romans 12, 1 and 2... Strategy, or I use the sons of Zebedee strategy. So, you, can anybody quote to me Romans twelve one and two? Any Bible scholars out? Cindy, can you? That that that's tough. She says I know it in about three or four versions, so it gets all confused. Well, in the NIV it says, and this is and here's my problem. So y'all try to follow along. A lot of verses I know it's in the nineteen 
84 NIV, and they keep updating these things. So in the new one, they keep changing language, and I'm just too old to start over again. <laughs> so I just go back to my 1984 and stay with it. So forgive me if you've got the latest update. I'm back in 1984. But anyway, the 1984 NIV, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers. Paul's pleading with them. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. It's great mercy, man. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So we're to offer our bodies. And it, it starts there in your heart. Set apart Christ as Lord. We offer our bodies. God, my body belongs to you. And before I use it in certain places, I need to ask, is it an acceptable sacrifice to you, how I'm using my body? And then he goes on verse 2. And he says, um, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So secondly, first we're to sacrifice our bodies to God each day. And then our minds. God, change my thinking. Transform my thinking, God, that I may think in agreement with you. And that's why, I can't say it enough, that's why it's so important to be in the Scriptures. The Scriptures in 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, it says all Scripture is God-breathed. Think about that. It comes out of God's mouth. People want to argue about, you know, the Scriptures. Listen, I like what Spurgeon said. The Scriptures are like a lion in a cage. Just let the lion out of the cage like that let's not get hung up on just get in the word let god begin to transform your thinking that's that's when you'll be ready for that defense he says set apart christ's lord always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have how do you do that well you're in the word and you're living for christ and you're praying and you're seeking his will and and you're rubbing shoulders with god's people and he you're, you're offering your body day by day and your mind to be transformed and renewed thinking and then that answer comes out of you as you walk in the spirit of god that's what happens that's, that's what we're to do in this crazy world. We're to let Jesus use us as his ambassadors through our words and through our works. Uh, next, we're to do this with gentleness and respect. Look at the end of verse 15 and 16. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. The goal is not to beat that sinner into submission. I had a—I mentioned Sunday school this morning to Alan, but I was at the Y the other day, and I went in the dressing room, and one of the guys—you know—you see everybody. And, I guess most of them know I'm a preacher, whether I know it or not, because there's something about being a preacher people find out. But the guy came up to me and he said, What are you preaching on Sunday? I just come home. Are you preaching on sin? I said, Well, that'll be some of it. He said, Are you one of them hellfire and damnation preachers? 
I said, well, what I really like to talk about is the fact that God wants to keep us from going to hell. That he wants to forgive us. He said, you mean you don't tell them about sin? I said, well, I really think most people know they're sinners. They just need a way out. He just kind of looked at me funny and left. Gentleness and respect. Look, we we in a time where everybody wants to delete hell. I don't like hell. I wish hell wasn't a place. I don't want anybody to go to hell. I think we should be broken over hell. I think preachers are disturbed who preaches hell like they're happy with a big old grin on their face. Nothing to be happy about. It's terrible. But the good news is nobody has to go there. The good news is God sent His one and only Son, born of a virgin, walked among the sinless, healed the sick, raised the dead. Then we watched a video in Freak Week. We got to that last night. And it was the it was the cross and the resurrection. That's good stuff, man. They, they were showed the cross, and it was terrible seeing him die. But then you know what happened? I, I, I love that uh, Tony Campolo said in one church he went in the black church and said the guy saying Sunday's coming. He said it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. And man, it was great. And Sunday came. Jesus rose from the grave. We got into that thing and I heard old Jerry Hyder back there. He said, he's alive! I thought, man, that's good. That's the gentleness and respect. Jesus died for you. He loves you. I need to go on, don't I? Okay. <laughs> the reason they don't get it. 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says, The man without the Spirit cannot accept the things of God. Because they're spiritually discerned. And they're foolishness to them. They just think we're crazy. Because they need the Holy Spirit to reveal to them the truth. And our goal is to walk in the Spirit. And to let God get a hold of hearts. And so that others can see. And one last thing here and I'm done. Verse 18. We can't ever do this too much, guys. Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. I'll say it one more time. Remember Jesus. Look at verse 18. For Christ. I'm going to read in here because that's that new version I had in there. For Christ died for sins once for all. Righteous for the unrighteous. That he may bring you to God. Man, I like that. Remember Jesus. Why do we remember Jesus? Because I always seem to come face to face with my sin. I have days. Do you ever have this? Where I'll just be sitting there and I'll think of something that happened ten years ago. That I did that was stupid. Or that hurt somebody. And I'll go on this big pity party about what I did and get mad at myself. And then 
I'll stop and I'll think. There's no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death for what God did by sending His own Son. Man, He goes, you know, that's Romans 8. I don't have to beat myself up. Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. We're not doomed. That's why Paul said, Galatians 6.14, it's a great memory verse. He says, may I never boast except in the cross of Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Nobody really likes a braggart. You've met some of those, haven't you? When a guy's favorite subject is always himself, it gets old in a hurry. But if there's one thing the scriptures say we can brag about, it's the cross of Christ. It's the ultimate, unconditional love of Jesus. And Paul says, there's only one thing I want to be known for as a braggart. And that is the awesome love of my Savior that reached out to me fully. If I'm going to be a braggart, that's where I'm going. Um, I close with a... I was looking for an illustration. It talked about in the fourth century of a in Korea of a family, um, two brothers as they grew up went different directions. One ended up in politics, and he um, ended up as the chief justice in the land. The other brother was a a criminal and uh, had a whole long rap sheet and. He ended up being scheduled to be executed. And uh, everybody thought, well, he'll get off the hook. His brothers, you know, he's up there high in politics. And they'll find a way to get him off. But as the day came, there was no sign of that. And the two brothers got together. And uh, the older brother was kind of broken. And he said, look, uh, He said, I, I can't stand to see you die. You're my brother. He said, how about if uh, I go up there and I take your place? I'll go for you. And he agreed. He said, okay, I'll do that. But he really thought, no way, man. My brother, he's got pull. You know? They'll get up there and they'll see it's my brother. You know, and they'll say, this is a mistake. And, you know, and he'll... He'll walk away. And so it came day for the execution and he went up a place where he could watch and nobody stopped it. And his brother was executed in his place. And he came running down the hill and he was very upset from where he was. And he said, stop, stop. And he's screaming. I'm the man to be executed. That's my brother. And the executioner said, there's already been one that died for the crime. You're free to go. And that's really the story of the gospel. He died for our crimes. And the result of that is although we don't deserve it, aren't you grateful it's not that we deserve it? Aren't you grateful he gives us what we need, not what we deserve? Has we... 
find ourselves in this culture. That's how we need to communicate, guys. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for a chance to look at your word tonight. I think it's important as the culture becomes, um, I don't know, more hostile maybe. Uh, But our job is to be like Christ. And we're a pretty weak bunch, and I confess I am. I pray that your Holy Spirit might guide us accordingly, that we might take the truth of your word, and that through the power of Christ's Spirit, uh, your truth may be alive in us. We want our lives and our lips to be attractive that others would want an encounter with Jesus and that they might see Jesus in us. And I just pray for all of us that you would do that in our lives, Father. Um, I just pray that we might obey you tonight, whatever that may be. You know our hearts, uh, whatever the commitment may be. Who knows, maybe there's one here who's needs to trust you for the first time. Father, may that one bow to you and say, Jesus, forgive me, come live within. Father, maybe there's another here who is ready to turn your direction. I pray that would happen. And Father, I don't know. Uh, Holy Spirit, you're the one that knows our hearts, so just be free to work. That's what we want. Um, Father, when we got control of it, there's not much there. <laughs> it's so I ask that you have control of me and my brothers and sisters and our church and that you might turn upside down what um, is here for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.